Hello, everybody, and welcome to Feeling Seen, the podcast that talks about the movies, shows, and characters that make us feel seen. On today's show, we have something a little bit, a little bit different, a little bit special. We are talking to the star of the new movie, Catch the Fair One. She also received a story by credit for the script, and we're going to be discussing a TV character that you already know is close to the heart of this show and close to so many millions of people on Twitter every Sunday night. And that is Rue from HBO's hit show Euphoria, as played by, of course, the Emmy winner Zendaya. My guest is Kaylee Reese, a WBA, IBO, and WBO super lightweight champion boxer who makes her feature debut in Catch the Fair One. She plays a character also named Kaylee, and she is familiar with a lot of the challenges and assumptions that her fictional counterpart has faced over the course of her life. What's more, the thriller addresses issues that Kaylee has been a major advocate for considering the Native community, in this case specifically, the plight of murdered and missing Indigenous women. She's been nominated for an Independent Spirit Award for her performance. Catch the Fair One is directed by Joseph Kubota Ladaka, and at the time of this recording, season two of Euphoria still had a few episodes left to air, which is why we didn't get into the specifics of that school play. And it is a it is a wonderful conversation, and I am so glad that Kaylee could bring her life and her story into the conversation about this life and this story. Then we'll have one quick thing before I go, because I have seen Death on the Nile, and not enough of you have seen Death on the Nile. So we're going to talk about that at the end. But for now, let's get right to it with Kaylee. Hello, Kaylee. Thank you so much for being here today. No problem. This is exciting. This one, I'm actually like, uh, I've done a lot of like the same type of interviews, but I was like, right. oh yeah, this is going to be fun. Okay, good. Uh, before we get to your character choice, I would like to ask, because you, you have boxed for a very long time. I think uh, I've read that 15 years, I think you said, like your, the length of your career. Yeah, it's about 20 years, over 20 years overall, but 13 and a half as a professional. Okay, okay. Why fighting? Why, why, the, why the physical arts? What brought you to boxing? Well, first of all, I want to thank you guys for having me on. And I just want to introduce myself and my language. Hello, greetings. My given name is Many Feathers, Many Talents, and I am from the Sikonke Wampanoag tribe with lineage to the Nipmuc and Cherokee tribes, as well as from the Cape Verde Islands, originally from Providence, Rhode Island, and now <laughs> reside in South Philly. So watch here, which means greetings to everybody. Thank you. No problem. No problem. And to kind of lean into how I even got into fighting, um, I'll give you a little background on my tribe. I'm from the Sikonke Wampanoag tribe. Mm. And Wampanoag is a huge nation. We have about eight or nine different bands or clans, and I am from the Sikonke or Sukikonke, which means Black Goose tribe and we had a fierce leader by the name of um Osamiquin. He was um a sachem, he was a great leader and um he had a war chief by the name of Anawan. And as after Osamiquin passed on, his predecessor was his son uh, Wamsutta who got killed and then he had another son, King Philip. Um he had a right hand man, his name was Anawan and he was a war chief. That's where my direct lineage is. So he was basically the one who you know, gathered up all the soldiers and was, um, you know, one of the one of the top guys. And as you can see, having that warrior blood mm-hmm. runs deep in my veins, especially for my tribe. 
as well as being Cape Verdean. Cape Verde Islands are off the west coast of Africa, which was originally used as a slave port, mm. but has now been its own independent country for well over 40 years now. So I come from a really strong line of just fierce, resilient people. <laughs> Almost a walk toward destiny then for you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it didn't start off like that. I mean, I'm, I'm one of five kids. Uh, Everybody, I'm the baby, so I had to be really creative to get away with stuff, (laughs) honestly. (laughs) Yeah, your parents had seen it all at that point. They'd seen it all. Yeah, I'm like, man, he did that. He got caught. She did that, got caught. So I was, you know, really clever as a kid. You know, I was into music. Everybody does something in music in my family. My father was on uh, tour with Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. He's a musician. Yeah, yeah, good vibrations. Good Good vibrations. vibrations. Fuck yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, my mother's a, a talented singer and everyone did something. So boxing wasn't really something that my family did, but sports was um, basketball. And I first expressed my love of anything physical, probably at the age of like five or six, want to play football. My mom wasn't having that. Um, eventually I found uh, a man that I found him was a boxer. He's from another tribe over here, the Narragansett tribe. And I used to bug him to try to, like, I just want to learn how to box. And he just kind of blew me off in his very New England accent. Hey, you don't want to be a boxer. Girls, they just want to hang out and all this other stuff. <laughs> but, you know, when someone tells me I shouldn't do something, usually I do the, la- the latter, sure. and I, I wanted it. Mm-hmm. Um, the team sports didn't really do it for me. Um, when I was about 11, 12, I went through a, l- a lot of different things, and um, I always liked the solo aspect of fighting in general and then boxing because when you play basketball, you have four other teammates. You can sub in if you get tired of boxing. Mm-hmm. If you don't do something, that's yo ass. You know what I mean? You have, <laughs> yeah. you have to be very, very self-accountable. The buck stops at you. That's, that's yes, it in the ring. Man, no, you yeah. can't be like, can you take these two rounds for me? No, nah, you have to do that. And mm-hmm. um, at a very early age between being, you know, more than one race, being Cape Verdean or black and indigenous or Native American, not growing up in your typical um surrounding native tribes on a reservation kind of you know in between a couple of worlds getting taught my heritage from my mother who's a medicine woman of a tribe Mm. but also she's a christian Mm. to kind of really have those things that was really bumping so i just couldn't find my footing right and um my father left really early on and i just didn't fit anywhere Mm -hmm. and honestly with everything going on as a 13 14 year old at that time I went in the gym in this chaotic, funky, ball-smelling place, and <laughs> everything in my head just went quiet. And yeah. I was able to just focus on what I was doing. And then from there, I t- hit the ground running. From there, you became a goddamn champion. <laughs> oh, yeah. Six times, man. Six times. <laughs> well, I, 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 I like this as a lead-in to talking about the character that you have brought for us to discuss today. Who, who have you brought for us to discuss today? What character has resonated with you very strongly? Rue from Euphoria. I love her. Yes. Tell us, Kaylee, who is Rue in Euphoria? What are we what are we dealing with here? Rue is uh, an amazing phenomena. She's a very deep character in the um, show Euphoria. She's mm. a teenager who mm. goes through some trauma, who is father is white, mom's black, and she has a younger sister, and she's an addict in high school. Mm-hmm. And in the in the most alarming high school currently on television, uh, I it has a name. I call it Euphoria High, and all the teens have very serious issues they're dealing with a lot. And it is Zendaya is is it is an incredibly capable cast and ensemble. But goddamn, Emmy winner Zendaya for the role is really putting this show on her back and walking up, charging up a hill every single episode. Every single episode, and her supporting. Um 
actors and actresses in there are phenomenal. I mean, this high school mm. needs to be closed as far as I'm yeah. concerned. <laughs> it needs to be closed. Condemn Just close it. it. Just close Condemn- it. Start over. Yep. Start over, you guys. Knock it down, man. <laughs> now, as a beloved character that a lot of people are rooting for, I feel a certain responsibility to make good decisions. But I relapsed. What I really like is the through line here with such an, I mean, an utterly embodied pursuit as boxing. And then with your role in Catch the Fair One, which for which you've been nominated for an Independent Spirit Award. And then you have this um, performance by Zendaya, which is, she, she's a she's a woman of few words, Rue. So much of that performance takes place in Zendaya's body and how she moves through space. And you learn so much about how she feels about herself and other people from her physicality. So what what about Rue really caught for you when you saw this performance? You know, shout out to Zendaya. I mean, she is an artiste and so <laughs> young. I can't wait to see what she does next. <laughs> Fellow Virgo. Eh, <laughs> I love it. Virgos, man, we do it different. Um, <laughs> there's so much I love about that character, and she really embodies her because Rue is a character I think that everybody, male or female, can identify with because there's a little bit of Rue in everybody, I think. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And like you said, she doesn't say much, but there's so much going on. She may mm-hmm. say two words, but those words are, and how she really feels is lying right underneath her sarcasm, mm-hmm. which I love as well. And she just feel so deeply the beautiful thing about getting high is time ceases to exist and you can just stay in the good moments without the fear that they'll come to an end and try i think she has so much going on that's why she's an addict she's trying Mm -hmm. to shut it up and i can so relate to that and the way she just the way she walks, the way she deals with things, the way she smiles or doesn't, everything is so calculated, mm-hmm. but so messy. And mm-hmm. it has so many different layers. And I feel like she is embodied with every episode, get something else that you can pick out of her, even just her different twitches or how she really feels about herself in other people. She loves people, mm-hmm. but she hates herself because she's like this and she feels bad. It's a constant like ping pong. I just, you know, I could watch, I can go on forever, but (laughs) she she just, oh man, I absolutely love the entire show, but her character is so, so deep at so many levels. Is there now, are there any scenes especially where you felt have really pinged with you where there, there was just like a deeply reflective moment of like, oh man, I need to like, maybe I need to take a break. Maybe I need to walk away. Like I'm feeling, I'm feeling a little too in it with like, I definitely walked away from that show sometimes and been like, I'm too in it right now. And I need to give myself a breath before I finish what this is giving me because I, I, I I need to just like make sure that I'm not in trauma high school right now and in Mm. my world and creating a distance. So are there, are like, are there scenes? especially where you've been like man this is this is just beyond what i've even experienced in this character even so far they did not waste any time in this new season to kind of just ram it right into lube bro jesus episode four when she was just having the complete breakdown she was going through withdrawal she was just it was a lot and (laughs) she embodied that i started watching the fifth episode and it started with her in like the most vulnerable spot just trying to eat a jolly rancher and i was like i can't today i gotta take a break i can't do this okay look look we can go to the hospital okay i'm not we going to the fucking hospital if you call Mom, look 
We can do the withdrawal thing again, baby. It's okay. The fucking hospital. If you try to put me in a fucking hospital, I swear to God, we're gonna have a problem. She gives you your all, her all in that character, and then every run, every grunt, every beat of sweat, every chill. I was like, oh my god. Yeah. Well, now I want to pivot that into into your own work with with Catch the Fair One and how. I think uh, I was reading a, an interview with you uh, where you talked about kind of like you you knew that the amount of things that your fictional Kaylee was going to say could possibly fit on a page, page and a half. Mm-hmm. You're never wondering about her clarity of purpose. And I wanted to talk to you about playing a kind of a character that feels almost so animalistic in their drive towards something, which is, I think, something that I feel when I watch Zendaya as Rue as well, like stripped of her ability to sort of want to participate in the human experience. She just like, and yet feeling like such a yearning to be a part of it. There's something very raw and animalistic to me about the performance that Zendaya is giving. And I wanted to hear from you about like sort of physically embodying that space. It's definitely, um, acting is not just in talking. It's honestly, probably that's the last thing it's, it's, it's in your body. You have energy. You need to use it. You need to express it. And, it was heavy. I mean, this, this character was very heavy, um, very close to me. And what saved me from going down that deep hole, because this was a very, very heavy context of a story to tell, was being able to plug all the way in mm-hmm. and then plug all, all the way out because it's just so, so close. And the physicality of this character, she, you know, our idea was to take this strong, powerful warrior. Mm-hmm. And strip her of everything. And what is she left with but one goal is to find her sister and get back in the ring. And how would that feel? Mm-hmm. You have all that pressure. Your mom doesn't accept you. You think it's your fault. You think she thinks it's your fault. Your native uh, community doesn't fully accept you because you're not the fair one. There's just so much that all I can do is just picture her carrying it on her mm-hmm. and being so uncomfortable. Hence the reason why she had, you know, turned to drugs when I. Uh, sister got lost in the first place mm-hmm. and then she's trying to do something even better by maybe my mom will accept me if i find my sister so let me get off the drugs but she can't stop moving mm-hmm. there's always something with that character she has to move she just wants mm-hmm. to get out of her own body and it was just really to picture all that and just well, how would you feel you would feel like this and you yeah, know i just started, fold it in like turn yep. like fold it inward and, and kind of like eyes down to the ground it seems like uh, exactly this character taught me a lot about myself and a lot mm. about people in general. So, what what surprised you about getting into a character's point of view like that? Like, I, I don't know that you had ever done that before. I perhaps you had, but what was that like as a function of sort of self discovery? What was what was the most sort of thing that took you aback about getting through that process? The fact that once I really get into a routine, uh, was getting in and out. It, I didn't want her to leave. I was oh, like, this character, it's like, how can I explain this? And I've heard this from all the character, um, actors. And it's like, I almost had a, I and my best friend, we did like a whole ceremony to like bury this character wow. because I had to say goodbye because she yeah. just, we just both went through this cathartic ride together. So I'm, it's crazy because when I explained it to my best friend, she was like, I never thought of it like that. I'm like, dude, I need to, in my mind, uh-huh. be able to put her to rest. Unless I need her again, but I right. really have to take her out and she has to completely leave me because I felt lo- I had like almost like um, post filming depression almost. Yeah. So I'm like, I can't plug into this girl. I can't talk to her. I can't feel what she's feeling in these moments. And especially mm-hmm. 
on a psychological level, going through that and picturing in real life, like these are what my sisters and my people are going through. Mm-hmm. Like it was just, it was just all crazy. I really had to make sure we put her to rest mm-hmm. in her place and kept her there until maybe I may need to talk to her again. But mm-hmm. I, I don't think the average person can really grasp that because everybody thinks acting is good lying. I'm not lying because the fact is I'm really, my job is to convince you that I'm really feeling this. Mm-hmm. And understanding that the camera sees everything gave me the ability to really understand what I had to convey this this loss, this depression, this rage mm-hmm. by just those slight turn of your eyes or mm-hmm. anything. It was just really important because um, uh, throughout the whole film, we suggest we don't show much. And mm-hmm. that was 85 minutes of a rush, you mm-hmm. know? So um, it's just, it is in your body. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that feels like, it feels like the... When you have these really, because like your your character, like I'm with her the entire way. I'm with Kaylee, but you like she's also doing very compromising things morally in ways that you can tell she's not totally sure about at times. She's like, all right, I'm on this path and I'm walking straight forward, but like I don't feel great about what I'm doing, but it's a means to an end. And and obviously what Zendaya is doing with Rue and Euphoria, like this is a character who is challenging you at every turn to abandon her, and and yet in that process it feels like to embody these characters so fully and completely the way that you both do, I would say, is you have to honor them. And I really, I, I that's such a beautiful thing to hear about, like the process of letting that Kaylee go for you. It feels like it's a, it feels like it's part of that act of honoring their, their richness and their fullness mm-hmm. in a really tangible way. That, that sounds extremely emotional, honestly. Oh no, it was. I mean, uh, I got home and I was like, okay. Like, when am I gonna, when am I gonna talk to Kaylee again? Because, you know, I used to write down notes to myself from her before mm-hmm. I went to sleep when I was on set. And this was just something little that, um, again, the, the, um, Sheila Grace, who I worked with for like a week, I didn't have any prior training, but mm-hmm. Joseph threw me in like a boot camp. But just to, <laughs> just to write down, like, I, I kind of like I honor you. And, you know, if there's anything you need to tell me about the character in my dreams, tell me. Mm-hmm. And like, I kind of, I already do this anyway. So it was mm-hmm. something like, I need to, I need to put this to rest because I don't need her being sitting next to me every day. Like, mm-hmm. and just like, you know what I mean? And it's, um, I think that's super important. Again, I haven't been in this industry, but I blink right. and I already can see how people can get real caught up. You can get lost in that whole thing. This movie is obviously like, this is very personal movie to you. And it is a very personal representation of the community that you are of a part, you are a part of. And I'm, I'm just, I'm, I would like to ask you about sort of a, the culturally specific way that you sent that person off and sort of the way inextricably that your your upbringing, your spirituality, your relationship with the spiritual involves specifically in because, you know, it's it's not just a matter of we're going to make a vengeance story where like it could have been a script with a white woman, but we switched it and we found this person to star in it. No, this is an intricately specific and detailed reflection of tribute to causes that you fight for, a community that you represent. And I wanted to hear about sort of the cultural relationship, like the cultural specificities of, you know, that you bring to relating to this character and even saying goodbye to this character that are, that are unique to your experience. So, um, you know, this story, we took a lot of time to develop things. And again, Joseph is such a, uh, an amazing human for even wanting to tell the story, number one, but to mm. recognize that it wasn't his story to tell. For sure. And he wants to get the pr- perspective of somebody in that community to tell the story. So, um, 
it's it's crazy because in native country um there's so many things that are taboo to talk about or that mm. we as native people just don't talk about mm. um i.e being residential schools survivors mm. a lot of survivors don't want to talk about it and they're so ashamed that we just this is things we just do not mention amongst the native community mm. um there's some native communities that accept and honor two-spirit people there's some that don't mm. so there's all kinds of different ways and Culturally, um, we definitely wanted to keep it non-tribal specific due to this doesn't just happen to the Wampanoag Nation or the Seneca Nation. It happens all to every indigenous people all around the world, any indigenous person to that land. So we wanted to keep it very grim looking, mm -hmm. um, but not tribal or area specific. Mm -hmm. Because yes, you are you are a passionate advocate for the yes. uh, missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls movement. Yes, which is not specific to a, a tribe or a person. No, it is. yeah. So that's why touching on this subject of missing, murdered Indigenous women to just bring awareness. Because again, this story is not in any way, shape, or form or answer. It's mm -hmm. just our creative interpretation of a very bad issue. So we mm -hmm. did, didn't want it, we didn't want to keep it tribal specific or area specific. However, highlighting Northeast Woodland tribes or Northeast tribes was kind of a, a direction I wanted to go in mm. to kind of break and change the narrative of how everybody thinks Native Americans or Indigenous peoples should, number one, look like, mm -hmm. act like, talk like, what color we should be, how our hair should be. Everybody right. has this one-dimensional uh, in, like picture in their mind of we're all supposed to look like Tonto and Geronimo and Pocahontas right. and all this other stuff. You are a monolith created by white fiction. I am. I am. I'm just a double <laughs> negative over here. <laughs> <laughs> So that was really as far as culturally um, bringing highlights to that and also mm -hmm. kind of a little bit of twinge of the anti-blackness inside Native country mm -hmm. is something to be reckoned with because the most racism I've ever faced was not from white people, Spanish people, it was from other Natives because I'm mixed wow. with black. Okay. And that's a topic, again, that's very taboo that a lot of people don't want to talk about, but you got to talk about it because... You have people who are mixed with white, they get praised. You got um, people like me, myself, who's mixed with, mixed with black or Cape Verde Islands. Mm -hmm. It's shunned upon. So there was a bunch of layers that we had to kind of um, bring out in that. And as far as sending her off, you know, when we um, we send prayers, prayers up to the creator and there's different ceremonies, full moon ceremonies, new moon, there's um, sending off a loved one. Mm -hmm. um, or an elder. So it was kind of similar. I didn't, mm -hmm. I never got taught this. This is almost like it's, um, what I know already to let somebody go, mm -hmm. um, in that fashion. So it yeah. was more or less just saying what I appreciated, what I learned and letting her rest and just sending her off. Um, you know, I have like a ceremony of fire. We use a lot of fires. Um, when people pass, we usually mm -hmm. light a fire and keep it going until we send them off. So I just had a fire and kind of did my own ceremony and I, I'm glad I did because mm -hmm. you could kind of toy with going back and forth. Well, I was, while I was watching um, the film, I started thinking about a, an interview that I had done with the filmmaker Jeff Barnaby when his movie Blood Quantum came out. Mm. Uh, a theme that he came back to a lot in that conversation was the idea of the post-colonial native and dealing with the, the rage and anger and the, the righteous resentment that imbued a really challenging and antagonistic character in his story. And he he said this thing that I, I went back and I read that interview today and it clicked with what I was a thing I was experiencing when I was watching Catch the Fair One. And he said, for the past 200, 300, 400 years, the main focus of the destructive might of the colonies was to destroy Native families. And as I was watching this, I was just, 
as I'm watching your film, I'm seeing all of these girls be taken. And I'm seeing your character spiral into addiction, estranged from her mother, and and these these abductions, these people being taken and them being trafficked by these, you know, not exclusively, but often white men, and and shipped to who knows where. And, you know, in that horribly agonizing line coming from, I think it was Kevin Dunn, I think is the actor who said, like, you think I remember their names? Mm-hmm. And it just this incredible, huge network that in part, amidst so many other ways of, of being a force of destruction, also has a role in continuing to decimate Native families. And and his is a zombie apocalypse movie that, like, in its its presentation, like, is quite different from yours. But I, I that was really, like, breaking my heart as a through line I was feeling through both your film and that one. Yeah, that's it. I love Blood Quantum, by the way, because number one, I love zombie films, but he did that <laughs> film very well. And then you can, you have to watch another movie like ours. You have to watch a few times because there's so many different little messages. And mm-hmm. it is, it is crazy. The, 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 the rage that we, it's, it's almost got kind of got masked by like shame a little mm. bit, especially amongst our women, because this is me speaking personally. Mm. There's just something about native people and especially women, not all, but it's genetic genocide where we just have this, I'm sorry for being here. I'm mm-hmm. sorry for existing type of thing because century after century, we got treated and told that we weren't worth shit basically. Mm-hmm. And that feeling, those frequencies get passed down in your DNA. And it's been for centuries. So to go to a whole different side of this country and to see somebody without saying a word and know she feels the same way I do and understand without even knowing this person, that it goes so, so deep. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people deal with it differently. Some people deal with it in addiction. Number one, when you're on a sovereign nation, you're on a reservation and you think that's all there is, mm. there's nothing else. And you don't see faces like this in film. You don't see your your native counterparts uh, being a world champion on HBO. Right. That's the reason why I have to represent no matter where I go, because this is a problem. We're mm-hmm. the first original people of this land, but with the last to be spoken about, but we're leading in all the car- horrific statistics, such as mm-hmm. domestic abuse, abuse, um, homelessness, addiction, obesity, suicide. Like, and these are kids. These are kids. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of different undertones. And I, I totally get that statement. It's, um, Something almost you don't understand, especially as a teenager, like right. growing up and, and not really understanding, wanting to be traditional, but having the outside influences of going to regular schools and being surrounded by regular kids, feeling like you're not worth anything, feeling like you can't make a difference, but knowing that you have the pressure of being the next generation and pass these things down, that's so much pressure, mm-hmm. especially when we're losing elders so fast. And I'm like, I'm still relearning stuff. How am I going to pass it down? So right. It's just, um, it's, it's, we're peeling back the layers now, but telling stories just like mm-hmm. quantum, just like catch the fail and any other person who's trying to just get it out. Mm-hmm. Storytelling is our healing. Storytelling is how we pass down information, creation stories, how we pass down information in general. Mm-hmm. So this modern day of tell- uh, storytelling via movies is mm-hmm. I feel it's going to help and create a safe space, especially for our elders who are residential school survivors or have gone through, um, you know, a time where, you know, 80, 85 years old, they've seen a lot and mm-hmm. it's still bad. Mm-hmm. It's not something that's going away. It's just changing with the times. Right, right. And, you know, when you're when you're growing up and you're talking about like being on a sovereign nation and, and not and not really 
it, like that being the entire all-encompassing world around you like did you have media examples when you were growing up that you could really attach to as like an example of possibility that you might be, maybe weren't necessarily seeing around you like Rue is an incredible character and is a also like reflects a very different upbringing from yours did you did you have characters of your own that, that reflected a native experience that you could latch on to and be like I'm so happy to see this existing in a context that lets me know there's there's more than me and there's more than here. Or, or was that kind of just an absence of experience? We don't have many, um, yeah. you know, native actors that are outside of native film. You know, yeah. Last of the Mohicans, Dances with Wolves, every all that. And but you never seen. Oh snap! There's somebody who's native. They're playing an SVU. You don't mm-hmm. see that. Yeah. Um, I will say someone like West Study has been around forever. He's a legend. And mm-hmm. he started as your typical roles or uh, Tantu Cardinal. She's another legend. And those are just names that you've seen, but you see them in native roles. So mm-hmm. I never really saw anybody that looked like me. Um, I was happy when I saw smoke signals because it yep. was like, it was like, yeah, I looked just like <laughs> I had my big glasses with braid ties and little geek. <laughs> I used to get made fun of. I will show you a picture, but it was the <laughs> only movie that was out that was kind of had people, you know, Adam Beach in it, which yep. is a, uh, he's a phenomenal person, by the way. But it was just like our movie. Oh, then what happened? Arnold got arrested, you know, but he got lucky. At first, they charged him with attempted murder, but then they plea bargained that down to assault with a deadly weapon. And then they plea bargained that down to being an Indian in the 20th century. Then he got two years in Walla Walla. But mm-hmm. still in Maine, like, people are like, what smoke signal? I'm like, yeah, I've seen Okay. But I well, felt was, like... Yeah, that was one that Jeff was Barnaby us. brought up too, saying that he's like, that came out 20 years ago. And the promise that that movie offered wasn't ever fulfilled. No, it wasn't. I mean, with the... And now I feel like Reservation Dogs is like yeah. our smoke signals of today. And especially, I love it because they did what smoke signals does. They just show you life in the res. Native people, we're funny. You know what I mean? <laughs> we, we love to have a good time. So I believe, I was so happy when Reservation came out. Reservation Dogs came out. And they touched on a lot of things again, like Chats the Fair one. But they mm-hmm. had comedy and it was entertainment. But that's the you know, res kids and res people, like mm-hmm. being resy and noticing that we're not natives living in teepees and wigwams anymore we're living in regular houses with real problems with teenage problems the same thing happens but i feel with rue though going back to her just she could have a whole different background but just her catapult into life and being forced to almost grow up so fast at such a young age after her father died and dealing with all that trauma and having a little sister look after and trying to live up to expectation of moms i mean i think that right there makes me feel Mm -hmm. seen personally as a teenager and then when i deal with younger teenage kids Mm -hmm. um especially girls going through the same thing i feel hope for them that the outside maybe that doesn't feel that way can get a look inside the psyche of Mm -hmm. where that comes from instead of saying oh she's just a junkie no she has a problem it's Mm -hmm. she needs she needs help not make fun of the junkie no Mm -hmm. like she's that's a cry for help and i think Somebody like Rue is kind of making, hopefully breaking barriers for older people to see the the struggle of young people. Yeah, teenagers are a pain in the ass to deal with, hence the reason why I deal with them. I <laughs> yeah. was one. We all were one. Though, yeah, we so, were there. <laughs> yeah, we, we all were one. So I, I love the fact that she's so transparent and vulnerable into every step and why she thinks how she thinks and her own self and how everybody sees her, but they're probably wrong. It's just, it's very, very deep. We are going to take a quick break, but we will be right back with more from Kaylee Reese.
Um, hi, I'm looking for a movie. Oh, I got you. Uh, there's that new foreign film with the time travel. There's an amazing documentary about queer history on streaming. Have I told you about this classic where giant robots fight? Or there's that one that most critics hated, but I thought was actually pretty good. Ooh, I know. The one with the huge car chase, and then there's that scene where the, the car, car jumps, jumps over, over the submarine. submarine. Wow, who are you eclectic movie experts? Well, I'm Ify Wadiwe. I'm Drea Clark. And I'm Alonzo Duraldi. And together, we host the movie podcast, Maximum film new episodes every week on maximumfun.org and you actually just walked into our recording booth oh weird sorry i thought this was a video store you seem like a lady with a lot of problems well manolo we have a show to promote it's called dr game show it's a family-friendly podcast where listeners submit games and we play them with callers from around the world no, sounds good. New episodes uh, happen every other Wednesday on MaximumFun.org. It's a it's a fast and loose oasis of absurd innocence and naivete. And Are you writing a poem? No, and just saying things from my memory. And uh, it's a nice break from reality. <laughs> Is that, are we allowed to say that? I don't know, it sounds bad. It comes with a 100% happiness guarantee. It does not. <laughs> Come for the games and stay for the chaos. Welcome back to Feeling Scene. I'm your host, Jordan Cruciola, and today's co-host is the multi-hyphenate force of nature, Kaylee Reese. A thing that I was so intrigued by while experiencing your character in in your film is when we when we meet her, she's kicking at like you're fucking terrifying in that just like warm up training scene. I was like, oh my god, if she hit me, I might die. Like <laughs> she's so fast, Jesus. And so this is how we meet you. And then in so many of your interactions, there's that that like oh sorry like you're very polite and you're very you're very quiet and and you take up as little space as possible but the the physical specter of you so physically powerful so carved from stone so strong i really appreciated the intense duality that your character presented of somebody who does look so physically dominating and imposing, but is still so filled with that kind of insecurity or that kind of sadness that there's still that tendency to fold in close and and take up as little room as possible. And I was like, that feels so full. That feels so sincere. Like you, mm-hmm. you don't just have like your license to kill because you physically could. Like there's still, <laughs> there's so much happening on the interior and it, and I feel like we see that so much too in that Rue is a chaos agent. Like mm-hmm. the, the episode where she's running around and withdrawals and she's like, I'm going to ruin everyone's life who I come across in the meantime. Yep. And yet at the same time, apologizing at every turn and feeling so afraid to be rejected and turned away. It's it's a wild ex- it's a whiplash of an experience going through both your character and hers in that in that specific way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the contra. I think, you know, usually your first instinct is always the right one. And first I said, you know, when I was doing this and prepping for this interview, 
I was I was looking, I was like, that's actually kind of like a younger version of Kaylee, except she don't box. Like, it's so yeah, crazy. Yeah, it, it is. Like, there, I, like, you know, you find patterns when somebody tells you something. Somebody somebody mentions a car to you and suddenly it's the only car you see on the road kind of thing. Does everybody drive a Subaru Outback? How did that yeah. happen? <laughs> but, like, so obviously I'm watching your movie, like, informed by this that you're bringing to the table. But I wasn't having to make many logic leaps to mm-hmm. find, like, to find, you know, like, spiritual sequel kind of feelings between these two characters. Yeah, um, it's it's amazing how um, Joseph actually wanted to bring the boxing in it. And, you know, we both spoke about why. And we could have had just a regular kind of, you know, well-known person in the community. But the idea of taking this, this like you said, chiseled from stone, ultimate, deadly, terrifying wor- world champion warrior mm-hmm. is no match. And that one person, even that one person so powerful in this, in trying to tackle this problem She's not even going to be able to take it down, but she's willing to, you know, do so in her own Mm -hmm. fashion. And we definitely want to make that contrast. And didn't want to be like Liam Nielsen looking for another one of his family members because now he lost his grandkids, apparently. (laughs) So I'm not even going to go there. But we had, I mean, it would have been goofy if I was just knocking everybody out, punching this one, punching that one. We had to make it realistic and she gets stronger in her survival mode as the story goes on, but she doesn't know what she's getting into or no, she really can defend, depend on is herself, but we didn't want to make it another goofy, I'm a slick shot going to shoot you right in the shoulder from around the thing. And I'm just going to punch everybody. Cause it wouldn't <laughs> have been, it wouldn't have been feral. It wouldn't have been primal. We want yeah. everybody to see the primal part of somebody who loses a sister. Like what would you do? And if she was up here and now she fell so far down, we needed that for the audience to understand that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it, and I've, I've, I've read in interviews where you've talked about like, we could have, I, we could have gone darker with this movie. And it, in certain ways, like, I wish I could, I wish we would have gone darker with these movies, with this movie. And then I wanted to hear from you about that. And I also, I kind of wanted to put it in conversation with where I, I kind of thinking where I want to go with that is I talk a lot about queer cinema and that balance between like these stories that we've seen so many times of queer pain and and coming out stories that often don't go well versus what I feel like we have more options now is to explore queer joy and how that feels almost like a revolutionary thing to still see is queer people experiencing joy. And I wanted to hear from you about like that balance of expressing something as intensely dark and committed to the reality as as this movie is and the issues that it's addressing while also like being a part of a community defined by its color and and, and the joy you experience and the, and the beauties of your of your tradition and your ancestry like I wanted to hear about like sort of those two sides of you and knowing that you're going to continue on in filmmaking it sounds like how like those kind of that mixture of things will factor in yeah it was crazy too because um Joseph was like I said he was really adamant about telling the story the right way and yeah. Um, with an issue like this that is very dark, very triggering, and just just the context of it doesn't just happen to indigenous women. It happens to the minorities most of the time. I mean, no offense, but one white girl goes missing in America, we see it all over the place. Yeah, and absolutely it, true. Yep. That I mean, and then we don't see anything about the indigenous people getting taken off their land, or our mm-hmm. lands, our peoples, our families. So, you know, it was going to have to be unpredictable yet inevitable. Whereas, too, um, because of a subject like this that not many people know about, we can't really rip the Band-Aid off too, too much. Because right. um, then people get into the whole, now, don't don't ask, don't tell, no, out of sight, out of mind, and tries to do what America's been trying to do, the history that it's built on in the first place. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we didn't want to exploit it or, or glamorize the this, this sex acts that 
goes along with this, nor do we need to waste two minutes of film having somebody being raped on camera. You've seen that totally. movie before. Yes. So it was a more of suggest, don't tell kind of, you know, you guys, we can, we all have imaginations. Also, we want you to stay with her and her world, no matter what's going on in the back, stay with her the entire movie to feel what she feels. So um, my mother actually was the one who came and said, that ain't dark enough. And wow. the reason she, and she's again, beautiful woman, spiritual, and she doesn't even like watching scary movies, but mm-hmm. she said that because this is kind of the tip of the iceberg of the yeah. stories I've personally heard and mm. the things that really go on there. So we will walk in that fine line of entertainment, making sure every almost everybody could sit down through this movie and not want to walk away, but keep it real. And that's a very, very fine line, um, yeah. you know, because this subject just isn't in mainstream media and people don't yeah. even that that really happens. Yeah, it does. Yeah. <sighs> Jesus. And thinking back to my conversation with Jeff as well, he talked about like the first iteration of Blood Quantum was a lot angrier, mm-hmm. was a lot angrier. And I wanted to hear about scaling, like scaling to where you did to know that you were like, OK, I think we are on the knife's edge of where we need to be. My instinct is telling me to push harder in a darker direction. But like, where is the where was finding that like thing that you felt comfortable with, like you were honoring the severity of the material while also being like, all right, let's also know like consider in mind the audience for this as well yeah, our our moral compass was like especially knowing that you're right to be angry that you're right to be fucking uh, angry it, we didn't want to beat the audience over our head like a documentary with with like yeah. activism at, at all you know we wanted awareness and mm-hmm. activism is a little bit different in my perspective so it wasn't a documentary okay. but it was bringing awareness like i mean let's face it i box but i box for a cause but at the end of the day i'm trying to kill the person but that's a very violent sport i mean it's a beautiful art <laughs> but it's just a platform mm-hmm. for me it's a catalyst into whatever else i can do with other endeavors um it was a it was a uh, like i said our, our, our compass was caught in the bermuda triangle a few times because it, <laughs> because joseph a great artist but he's very dark as well and he you know we, we clicked mm. on the whole biracial thing the whole baby thing the whole dad issues things but um we just bounced ideas off off each other and like i said he we, it had to be unpredictable so we had to have the suspense mm-hmm. of unpredictability and reality wise i mean we could have gave her a gun or a knife or some kind of nunchucks that she mm-hmm. just mastered on youtube or something but we had to keep it we <laughs> yeah. had to keep it primal and real and kind of all right what's her surroundings what can she use hence the razor she's in the shelter right. she's not gonna have a knife she's poor mm-hmm. okay she can hide that's like jail they can hide razors in jail mm-hmm. so okay she's here what would she use at this home how would she do this what if she found this kind of a thing and really kept it realistic mm-hmm. but keeping it dark enough to kind of so you get just a little taste mm-hmm. of what they even think about doing well in in you know in talking about what you were saying like with a character like rue hoping that it creates an expanded the opportunity for an expanded perspective on what you know black and brown girls like like a young rue go through to to older people who might what anybody who might watch this and be like wow this is an experience that's foreign to me but now i feel more i feel more empathetic to understanding that there are many people not like me and who are like her and they deal with these kinds of issues through their whole lives and i wanted to ask you about what you playing this role and and addressing like the colorism in your community and addressing the sex trafficking aspect like to be the one who puts this on screen in a way that we certainly don't typically see i wanted to ask you about sort of what that makes you feel like in terms of the possible for what you could see or what you could do yourself knowing that you did this you you fucking did it 
I mean, I, my hope is to just be um, a trailblazer um, because there's so much talent and there's so many stories we need to tell within our community. I hope this, again, creates the space for, all right, now I know they don't want to watch it and they don't want to hear about it, but they have no choice because the way we did it. In a way where we don't have to, you know, there's a lot of good documentaries, but I mm. know a lot, if we just take it to genre and hopefully this this genre thriller film will open the door and inspire a lot more art, artists to do exactly what they need to do. Tell, tell our stories, tell your mm -hmm. story um, and not be afraid to be accepted because it's going to get to the point where you ain't going to have a choice but to, to hear our stories and hear our voice just keep getting louder and louder with stuff like this. So that is my hope. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've trailblazed a lot of paths and I just <laughs> yeah. really hope that I didn't set it on fire and nobody will ever go this <laughs> route again. <laughs> That's what I hope. But um yeah, I don't, I don't see why not. And especially like I keep bringing reservation dogs back out. It's yeah. kind of worked. You seen, you seen the funny side, but they kind of kept a little darkness to it to reality. Mm -hmm. Now you see a real reality with this movie. Now it's kind of, I think, start to get the ball rolling. And one thing else I did like about Rue too is that she didn't come, she didn't live in Compton in the projects. Yeah, she had a decent home. Her father just got sick and died, and mm -hmm. this was like your typical middle-class American story it just happens to be she's a biracial teenage girl that already goes through so much mm -hmm. but then her father dies like and even to the point where this is really deep where her father was almost her almost like a safe haven for the entire family because he's a white man yeah. and who has the most power in America white men mm -hmm. so that got taken away from their family in a way I don't even know if anybody really made that connection but like this is spiral I love the fact that they kept it like no she's her good mom Raised mm -hmm. in the church, good little sister, mm -hmm. and still, it doesn't matter. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah, and I to circle back to like the 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 joy aspect of it. I wanted to hear from you about like as a you know now a creator in this industry, how do you hold space for the joy too when there is so much darkness that you're like we could go darker. This could be a lot fucking worse than you saw. Mm -hmm. But how do you how do you hold space for that that joy too and the celebrations of of the the broad you know the the beautiful mosaic that that comprises a background like yours i mean our heritage is so rich and um just being around my people just being on the land in nature it that's joy right there mm -hmm. the fact that we can speak our languages out loud now the fact that we can practice our ceremonies out loud and you know we have powwows with or powwows which are open to the public that's how we celebrate who we are joyously i mean mm -hmm. we're funny as fuck too i gotta say there's <laughs> many native comedians you gotta listen to um <laughs> and you know through music we have a lot we have a whole award show d devoted to just native hip-hop artists you know mm -hmm. what i mean there's so much joy and i love how we can incorporate our ancient ways with the new age stuff like mm -hmm. a tribe called the red you know they're, they're dope <laughs> you know what i mean so just just always staying rich in our culture that's that's the joy people i mean a lot of people want to be indians for uh halloween or they want us as their mascot you know what i mean right yes but there's so much more behind that you know there's so much more behind sacajawea or pocahontas like or tanto mm -hmm. sitting bull there's so much history and you guys live on the history you know yep. what i mean so we just yep. celebrate who we are and it's so amazing all i have to do is be in the same room with all my people I won't come home like i am now to, to see my mom and i'm like <laughs> that's how we celebrate we know who we are mm -hmm. knowing where i come from direct lineage is how we celebrate our joy i, I love telling people my history because i know it and if i don't look indian i could tell you i am not that i need <laughs> to prove anything to anyone but that's where i find our joy is just 
keep on practicing, keep speaking out, speaking our language, keep yelling, cheating, a war crying everywhere we go. <laughs> I I would like for that to be the sort of parting thought of of where we conclude the conversation. But I will ask you: Is there as as we as we send off? What would you anything you would like? Obviously, the film. But I know you are a you are a passionate activist about many things. Is there anything you would like to conclude with? That you would like to be the sort of closing closing agenda item? Well, I get asked a lot: How can people help? How you know sure. with this issue, or um, as um, also with the residential school kids being uncovered as of late um, in Canada and America. And then you have these pipelines. Um, things come in threes. A lot of things come in threes. And this is all connected. Missing and murdered indigenous women. Um, you have these man camps that come with these oil drills drilling through um, you know, broken tree sacred lands that want more Native women as sex workers. And then you have all these um, residential school kids that were taken away from their families, stolen, told them they couldn't sing or dance, cutting their hair, can't speak your language. Everything was taken away from us. And now it's time to get our, 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 our identity back and start, you know, stop being so sad and be fucking angry now. And um, you can start by just knowing the land that you occupy. Do a little research. See what tribal lands are either near or around you. Um, that's where I ask people to start, you know, because, again, I don't want to throw people all the way into this because then it's almost like a shock value, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, there's all kinds of grassroots organizations based around uh, missing and murdered indigenous women necessary to be started because of lack of resources. So just mm -hmm. find out around your area, what kind of, what tribe, what lands, and then see if you can be of some help donations. I know there's mm -hmm. all kinds of missing and murdered indigenous women organizations. Um, just do a little research and have the conversations um, and realize that now that things are coming up. We need accountability. Just yeah. take accountability so we can move on. Don't say it this didn't happen and um just start having those conversations with with your friends you know instead mm -hmm. of scrolling through instagram looking for the newest big booty jeans or whatever you know <laughs> type type in mmiw see what you come up with mm -hmm. That's it. well kaylee thank you so much for your time with this and for for being so um for being so candid in conversation about things that you know yes the beautiful process of creating art and then the difficult process of mining your generational trauma for like you know the sake of creating authentic art but also for educating people who you are doing the work for so that hopefully they go then choose to take that information and do the right thing with it so thank you so much for taking your time with us today no problem to buttony which means thank you guys this was an amazing conversation and we need to have more conversations like this so i thank you you were amazing i love having conversations and not saying the same answer all the time <laughs> <laughs> i so appreciate hearing that kaylee thank you so much for joining us this is this has been truly wonderful Uh, after hearing that conversation, I'm sure you're eager to check out Catch the Fair One, and you can do so right now. Find it wherever you can rent movies online, support independent film. And as promised, I have one quick thing before I go today, because I have seen Kenneth Branagh's Death on the Nile. Now, I went into this movie a skeptic because, not because of Kenneth Branagh, not because of that trailer that was doing its absolute damnedest to make you think that Army Hammer <laughs> did not appear in this movie, despite the fact that we were all pretty sure he was going to have a starring role, which he does. Um, I went into it, I went into it with low expectations because 
I was not wowed by Murder on the Orient Express. Kenneth Branagh is a tremendous filmmaker, and that movie, uh, for its, you know, night of too many stars kind of nature, fell pretty flat with me. But every bit of life that Murder on the Orient Express lacked, Death on the Nile brought back by orders of magnitude. I mean, this, we have glamour. We have sex. We have we have such sexy dancing. You're going to think that you saw sex scenes in this movie when you actually didn't, but it's going to seduce you so much on screen that you're going to be like, oh my God, was that an erotic thriller? Did I just watch the erotic thriller Death on the Nile? And you didn't, but also you kind of did. It does so well with its tongue-in-cheek humor. It does so well with the visuals, these panoramics of a computer-generated Nile, the absolute go-for-it, dripping-off-the-screen fabulosity of Sophie Okinedo as the singer hired to go on this trip down, <laughs> down with enough champagne, as we know, to fill the Nile to go and entertain these, these Lux and Posh folks. I mean, it's an ensemble where you're like, ooh, what a cast. And then you're like, is it what a cast? And then you're like, no, but it is what a cast. It was like it got right about an ensemble what the first movie got wrong, which is like, what if we pick all the most famous people in these A-list names because they're famous and set them all in one cast regardless of chemistry? And this was like a cast of names you know of varying sizes that felt assembled based on the way they read with one another and related to each other in scenes because that I bought into the relationships. I bought into the intrigue and fucking Emma Mackey. Emma Mackey, ladies and gentlemen, Emma Mackey enters a scene dramatically as a scorned woman wearing like a armored corset red gown. And I was like, I want my life ruined by that woman. I want my life ruined by that woman. I want to be that woman ruining people's lives in this specific way. Um, Gal Gadot, a, a wonderfully astute observation from somebody who responded to me about this movie on Twitter, said that Gal Gadot's entrance into this movie as she is descending a staircase in a completely silver dress is treated like she is a special effect in the film. And it she absolutely is. Gal Gadot's sheer... Camera loves her star quality is on such perfect display in this film and Gal is leaning into it so hard and Kenneth Branagh knows exactly what to do with it that she truly is a, a human special effect on display. Um, if you want to have a fun time at the movies and sort of be taken up by the magic of cinema, I was clutching my pearls throughout this film. I was leaning over to my friend who I saw it with and I was grabbing him by the arm. He was grabbing me by the arm. We were having a semi-scandalized and wonderfully entertaining night at the cinema. So go out, treat yourself, have an evening with Death on the Nile and see a high class whodunit. And that is my that is my gift to you to let you know that you might have been wrong about Death on the Nile, like like I've been wrong before, and I I encourage us all here to be wrong, model being wrong, write that in our minds, and and go find the movies that are gonna make us happy. Death on the Nile, and once again, please please producer Marissa, cut in the line enough champagne to fill the Nile because it's what the people want to hear, and I promise you, when it's delivered in the movie, it's just as satisfying as when you see it in the trailer. We have a piano tuned, a chef stolen from Shepherds of Cairo. 
and enough champagne to fill the Nile. So that is the one quick thing before I have went. And that is our show. You can follow us on Twitter at Pod or join our Facebook group at www.facebook.com slash groups slash feelingscenepod. You can also send us an email at feelingscene at maximumfun.org. If you want to follow me, I'm Jorcru on Twitter. That's J-O-R-C-R-U. Our theme music is by Andrew Epen. The show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.